And it is a swath of land that has not been claimed by any country, existing country, between Croatia and Serbia. And uh, the founder, Vit Jedlica, is uh, calling all of you to join him in his new country, Liberland. He has his own flag. Uh, They have their own motto already. It's called Live and Let Live. And he is asking anyone that uh, wants to bring their own beer, uh, food, and tents to come to Liberland. So far, he's had 300,000 people apply uh, to be part of this new country uh, between Croatia and Serbia. Well, maybe you want something closer to home. And uh, so maybe you can join the Whatever USA campaign uh, by Bud Light, and uh, that on any weekend during the year, they claim some city in the United States, Whatever USA, uh, and uh, you get to party for the weekend, hear bands, uh, do different events, all those kind of things. You can be a part of that place too, Whatever USA. The issue is there's some prerequisites, though, for both of these new places, if you're seeking freedom, independence, and a new way to live. That is this, that in Liberland, you can't have any communist past or Nazi past or any criminal record in your past, and they will only take the first 100 people that arrive in Liberland to be actual citizens. So that's their prerequisite. Uh, for whatever USA and Bud Light's campaign, you have to just basically drink Bud Light for the whole weekend. Got to be okay with that. Um, and it seems by the commercials, you have to be in your 20s and good looking. Uh, so Justin Young, you're in. So uh, congratulations, bro. You can represent us as a church. The thousand people are part of whatever USA. So uh, yeah. Well, today in the passage, we are going to see people that are also seeking after a new kingdom, a new movement to join. And we're going to see one individual in particular that we wonder, does he have the credentials to be a part of this kingdom? Does he have what it takes to be a part of this place? He's seeking it, but can he be a part of it? And overarching over all of this theme, I want us to get the idea, who is the one in this passage that is really doing the seeking? Who is the one that is seeking and who is the one being sought? Well, we're going to find out together. So let's turn again to Luke 19. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. Again, it's printed in your worship guide or um, a Bible in the back. Let's read God's word. Please be attentive to God's word. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. 
And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, a wee little man, show us through this man how you come and seek and save us, the lost. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. If you're just joining us, we've been going through the book of Luke. And uh, as uh, we have seen in the book of Luke, Jesus does something in this book. He goes after individual people. He calls them out. And he restores them from brokenness into new life. He makes what is not right, right. He takes people that were maybe blind or had an illness for a long period of time. And he restores them and he heals them. He's taken people with a death sentence of leprosy. People that have been ostracized from the whole community. And he has gone after them and healed them of this disease that is just detrimental. And he's brought them back. And then in the passage just before this, um, also things that we've seen, we've seen Jesus take people that have lost all hope, that have lost their own children. He has gone and brought their children back to life. He's done that multiple times in the book of Luke. And then in the passage just before this passage of Zacchaeus, we see that Jesus is walking through a town and there is a blind man, a beggar, that's probably been in this city street for long periods of time. And he hears that there's a crowd passing by. And he says, who is this that's passing by? And someone says, it's Jesus. And the blind man cries out in a loud voice, son of David, have mercy on me. And people say, shh, be quiet. And then he just Screams all the louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. A very moving story. And Jesus heals this blind beggar. And all praise God. So we've seen the way that Jesus has done these miraculous things with individuals over time. And here now, before the cross, is the last story of Jesus encountering an individual before he goes to the cross. The last one. In fact, we have kind of the thematic verse of the whole book of Luke in this passage. Verse 10. If anything tied everything together, it would be this one. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So, the last story of Jesus seeking and restoring someone And also the key verse of the book of Luke. So it should be significant. It should be powerful. It should be something miraculous. Maybe even something greater than raising someone from the dead. But instead, what is the story that is given? (laughs) It's a story of a short IRS agent. (laughs) A story of a short IRS agent that Jesus doesn't miraculously heal physically or anything like that, but just invites himself over to his house. Why this story? Why this one at the end, culminating his ministry before officially going 
to the cross. And also Luke, you've got to remember, Luke is writing to Theophilus, this guy that's questioning Christianity or trying to be confirmed in his faith. And many times when he's writing Theophilus, he's trying to get his attention. And unlike any other story of individuals, Luke makes this kind of narrative choice. You see it here in verse 2. It says, and behold. It's an old English word. It means wait, appreciate, comprehend. Here, he's saying to Theophilus, saying to us, this is significant. You need to appreciate this story. Behold what is being said here. This is something powerful. He says this not like any other of the other stories. And behold. You know, Zacchaeus is a fun story, isn't it? You know, we probably know the song, you know, Zacchaeus, wee little man, you know. You know, we probably remember that it's a fun story to tell in Sunday school if you're growing up the church. It's a story that's unique to Luke, which is kind of interesting. None of the other gospels share it. But the thing is, as much as we might think it's uniqueness and it's funness and all these things, there is something even deeper that we think we need to see here and what is happening in the story of Zacchaeus. Because Luke tells us, behold, pay attention, appreciate what is happening here. So what's happening? Let's find out. So what happened is that uh, Jesus is going through Jericho. Jericho is a town east of Jerusalem. It's a merchant town. It's along the river, the Jordan River. It has many palm trees. It has balsam wood, which was a great thing to trade back then. Fragrances, many, uh, just a beautiful place as a trading post. Uh, People would consider it a modern day Palm Springs um, or a modern day Appleton from like May 15th to June 1st, (laughs) you know. And the thing is, people would be traveling through they would be traveling f- through to uh, the merchant roads uh, from Jericho to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem um, to the east. So it's just kind of this passing by place. And many times uh, travelers would go in this city and pass by and kind of the modern entertainment of that day would be, who's coming into town? Who's coming in to see, uh, who should we see in the streets? What famous person is going to Jerusalem? And all the people would come and see And today, we see Jesus is coming through. And there's probably been rumors about what Jesus has done, his miracles and his teaching and all these things. And you could hear the words in the street, what will Jesus do in Jericho? Will he heal the man who always sits in the marketplace? Is he going to raise someone from the dead? Is he going to invite maybe himself to our house? Who is he going to dine with? And these are the questions that people are figuring out, and they all come. Here's the thing about public spaces. In public events and public spaces, all types of people come, don't they? Old, young, women, men, the rich, the poor. They're all there. And we see that many times in Jesus' journeys in Luke, um, people are trying to keep the riffraff out. 
Like, oh, children, no, don't come to Jesus. Or the, the, the blind beggar, oh, you shouldn't be here. You know, as much as they're trying to keep these people out, they're still there. It's a public spot. Even then, there's probably isolation. The rich will maybe live in one part of town. The poor live somewhere else. You know, old and young are separated. You know, children are best not to be seen. Not very dissimilar from maybe our own culture where we keep certain socioeconomic places one place and other people another place. People that are certain nationality in one place and others in other places. There's just division and isolation at times. But sometimes we're exposed to all the groups coming together in Appleton, aren't we? The farmer's market coming up. On Saturday, we see all types of people. And many times we're shocked when you go to the, the farmer's market. Whoa, he's wearing that, you know? Her hair is purple, you know? So even there are public spaces here. And that is also what is so surprising about this story. That here the public is gathered. And even one person that maybe people don't want to be there also wants to see who Jesus is. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Not just any tax collector. The chief tax collector in a very, very wealthy merchant town. <laughs> this guy's got bank, okay? Now you understand, I explained this a little bit last time, but tax collectors, they were Hebrews or Jews that were hired by Rome to collect money for the Roman oppression over Israel. So they kind of are sellouts to the Israelites, to the Hebrews. And the thing is, they were kind of shakedown artists. They would say, okay, if you want Rome to protect you, you need to give up some money. Oh, you want your trial to move a little bit faster in court? Cough up some money. Oh, you want some favors or be protected by the military or whatever it might be? Cough up some money. You could say it's uh, a mobster, a modern-day mobster, you know, in Five Points in New York or somewhere in Chicago, a guy that gets money for protection or whatever it might be. And see, Zacchaeus is not just a pawn. He's not just a lieutenant. He is the mob boss. And he has money. So imagine this guy coming to see Jesus. Man, come on. Just give us a little bit of space, Zacchaeus. Let us celebrate one of our own for a little bit. You don't have to come and invade even this time. What are you doing here? Why do you have to come into this place now? Here, the verse is really good, and it's hard to see in the English, but it comes out in the Greek. In verse 3, it says, And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. And many times what's emphasized is the idea that he can't see it because he's short. That is true, but also the way it's written, it's saying that, the few would have allowed Zacchaeus room to see Jesus. You know, people say, oh yeah, go ahead, Zacchaeus. You can come up front. No, 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 you're not coming up front. (laughs) They didn't even want him to come up on account of who he was. But to be a tax collector, you're not going to be dissuaded by people, are you? (laughs) No, he's ingenious. He says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to climb the tree. That will, that'll be smart. 
thing is, you know, a, a sycamore tree, uh, if you've ever seen one in, in Israel, is that it has a short kind of trunk, and the, the branches, they come out really thick, and they come out kind of more vertical, um, vertical than horizontal. So they're coming out that way. So it's a nice kind of tree to climb and see things. And probably Zacchaeus wasn't the only person in the tree. Kids had the same idea. <laughs> so kids might have been in the tree too, getting a view and getting to see who Jesus was. And also you have to realize that climbing a tree um, with the kind of garb that they had back then was not the most distinguished thing to do, okay? Especially for a middle-aged older man. For him to try to climb a tree, that's just weird. I tried to put it in a modern day thing. I thought about it, what happened um, at a, game, a public space, a Packer game, which a lot of people, different backgrounds all come together. And I noticed when you know, a politician comes to a game, usually the crowd doesn't have the best uh, view of that. When Scott Walker is shown on the Jumbotron, um, there's a lot of booze. When Chris Christie came to the Packer-Cowboy game, uh, people were not very delighted about that. You see, people say, I, I, listen, this is my thing. This is me wanting to see Aaron Rodgers or see my team. What, these people like it too? Even they get to come? Come on. But could you imagine, I mean, politicians nowadays, they can spend enough money to be able to see those players or get good seats. But could you imagine that that didn't happen back then? I mean, just because you had money didn't mean you could be closer to Jesus. It didn't the way Jesus worked. But could you imagine nowadays if someone that, I want to be close to a superstar. I want to be close to someone famous and people don't really like me around and I'm short and I can't see. It would be like training camp. At the Packers, you know when the kids ride the bikes? You know, the players come out uh, between um, the stadium and to uh, the playing facility and they, the kids have their bikes on the sides and then the players get on the bike and the kids ride behind them or ride on them. Could you imagine a, a guy with a suit on with his bike waiting for a player to come by? I just want to see him. I got to even stoop to this level to be close to someone famous. That is how crazy and unique this situation is. And that is where Zacchaeus is coming. I will even climb a tree. I will even be in a crowd that might not even like me so I can get a glimpse of who Jesus is. But I think this is what the great flip of the story is. This is where I think the irony of the story is. We see that Zacchaeus seeks Jesus, but at the very end of the book of this um, story, in verse 10, it says this. Again, I'm going to repeat it. For the Son of Man came and to seek and save the lost. You see, Jesus, when he was walking and, and just walking with the crowd, he looked up, which he wouldn't really do. He looked up and saw this man, and he called him by name, Zacchaeus. I am after you. You think you're seeking me, but even more than that, I am seeking you. I know you by name, and I must eat 
with you. You know, many people, when they look at the book of Luke, they try to, you know, boil it all together. Who are the people that are close to Jesus? You know, the rich, they're out. The poor, they're in. The tax collectors, they're in. The Pharisees, they're out. But what do you do with a rich tax collector? And Jesus is saying, even you are in. You see, Jesus goes after everyone. Rich, poor, tax collector, Pharisee. He is seeking every type of person. And when he finds you, you will be found. The call is irresistible. You know, sharing a table with someone, eating with them in that time, it meant I I identify with this person. I am with them. I believe in them. I am going to be able to show everyone that this person is okay. And that is what Jesus is doing when he dines with Zacchaeus. I am with this person. I love this person. I will be identified with this person. And Jesus is kind of a rude guest. <laughs> he says, I want to go to your house. More than not, not, I just want to go to your house. I must go to your house. It's an imperative. And the thing is, I think Jesus becomes more than just a house and dinner guest. Instead, the image of Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house is an outward sign of the inward identification of where Zacchaeus is with Christ. He has now moved his allegiance to his identity being a tax collector, the chief tax collector, to his identity being with Jesus Christ. And that's why I think it says, today salvation has come to this house. It is an outward sign of what was going on inwardly. Zacchaeus changing. And you can tell people are not happy about that. All the crowd grumbles or mumbles at the idea that Jesus would identify with such a person as this. You see, there's something different about Christianity. Different than any other religion You see, Christianity says this. You don't have to clean up your life to then be welcome. You don't have to have it together and then Jesus will come to your house. No, Jesus will come even when you are broken. Even when you are messed up. Even what I think Paul says over and over again, when you are dead, he comes to you. And in a culture where we want to be self-determined, where we're the ones that make ourselves, we're the ones that will finally be deserving of his praise, of his glory, that we will be put together, he will finally come to us. No, the gospel says that's not the way it works. He makes dead people alive. What does 1 John say? I mean, I'm sorry, I, I say this stuff and I don't even know if this is controversial things to say. 
that God comes to dead people, that God seeks us, we don't seek him, that he finds us. I'm sorry, I'm not just the one saying this. Scripture says it. What does 1 John say? It says, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but God loved us. We love because he what? He first loved us. Zacchaeus, lost, broken, a sinner, found by Jesus. Are we grumblers? Are you grumblers when you see certain people and their ability to be forgiven by Christ or loved by him or embraced by him? Are we the elder brother? As we've referenced back before. When the son prodigal comes back, we say, I, how can you allow this son into your house, father? Are we ones that say, like this, you see this in verse 9, it says, Today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. What a cutting word to the crowd that's grumbling. He doesn't deserve to be a part of Israel. He is a sellout to Rome. How can he be called a son of Abraham? And here Luke is saying, Jesus is saying, he is saying, even this man is in the family, not because he was born of Abraham, but because he was spiritually born of me. And then we saw in Ezekiel 34, what does God do? He goes as a shepherd and seeks the lost sheep. I think we can be grumblers in two different ways. One is this. Uh, John Colleen gets credit for this kind of observation in our community group, but John was saying this. If you think about the tax collectors, um, and a tax collector coming to the party, you are seeing a guy that's taken money from you, that has personally hurt you. And the idea that this guy that personally hurts you gets to be and dine with Jesus is offensive. And some of the people that we grumble the most at, how do they deserve Christ's forgiveness? How do they deserve to be embraced by him? Are people that have hurt us individually. They say, they deserve justice. They don't deserve your love, God. Do you grumble about people like that? Are there people in your life that you don't even want to tell Jesus about because you think they don't deserve it because of the way that they've hurt me or the way I've sought their injustice and gotten injustice from them? The second way I think is more popular in our culture, and I think it's this, oh yeah, I, this is great. This is what our culture is all about. We embrace anyone, whoever they are. That's fine. If a tax collector wants to come, Great. If someone that has this issue wants to come, great. That's what, it's, we're accepting everyone. That's not what this passage is saying. It says instead that people need to be accepted by Jesus specifically. When you say to someone you can be accepted by everyone, you are not getting what the true message of the gospel is. No, you want to say to them, you need to be sought and found by Jesus Christ. Listen, it is so easy to just tell people, yeah, what's good for you is great. You just do your thing. It makes you happy, 
go for it. It's, that's not embracive. Not abrasive. But that's not what the gospel says. Jesus seeks the lost. He goes after them. Do you do that with people? No, I don't think this way that you're living is going to be okay. In fact, I think the way you're living will ultimately lead to destruction. But I'll tell you one way to live that will lead to life. Not because of anything I have done, but because of what God has done in me. Will you say that to someone? Can you say that to a friend that you've known for a long time, that you know lives a certain way? Will you finally tell them and seek and save the lost? Will you go out there and go after the lost sheep? That's what Jesus does. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's great. And he would have many conversations where he would go to seek and save the lost. And um, usually the conversations, how would he know when someone finally got it? They finally got the message where Zacchaeus finally was identified with Christ. And Martin Lloyd-Jones would ask this question, a test question. And it was this, are you ready to say that you are a Christian? That's just the question is, are you ready to say that you are a Christian? And usually kind of some of the responses he would get is people say, well, I just don't think I'm good enough. I just don't think I can say that yet. I I think I got to do some more work before I can say I'm a Christian. And Martin Lloyd-Jones would then challenge them on that. That is very antithetical to the gospel. See, the gospel allows you to say, yes, I'm a Christian. It says, I am not good enough, but he is good enough in me. And therefore, I will identify myself as being a part of him. You see that? Inadvertently, and uh, two weeks ago at church, uh, I made a quote. I said, during communion, I said, we need to be born again every day. Okay, lo and behold, I was quoting the Buddha. I didn't know that I was quoting the Buddha. Um, But that was definitely not the thing I should have said. Thing is, justification happens once. We are born again once. You are in Christ once. Salvation has come. If a woman at the gym came to me and said, are you married? And I said to her, well, I'm kind of being remarried every day. What would Aaron say to that? You know, you said, what? Aaron would not be happy. See, positionally, I'm married. What I was trying to convey poorly is that there are times that we forget our position and we need to be reminded that we are sons and daughters of God, that we are identified as Christians. There are times that I need that at the dinner table when I'm looking at my phone and the kids are all crying and there's issues that need to be done. And Aaron will ask the same question to me. Are you married? (laughs) I say, yes, I'm married. Then live like it. Do we live into our reality as Christians? Do we live into that reality? 
Here we see Zacchaeus lives into the reality that he has now been identified with Jesus. And this is what we see Zacchaeus do. What does he do? Look together. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, it's not that Zacchaeus is going to do it. It's actually in the present tense. He's realized, I am doing this. It is happening now. I have been changed. Back in Old Testament law, it was if you defrauded someone, you would have to give them all what you defrauded them of and an extra 20%. But Zacchaeus is not giving 120% back. He is giving 400% back to those that he's defrauded. And the law also was to give 10%. Zacchaeus says, I'm not giving 10%. I'm giving half of my income to the poor. Who is this guy? What has happened to this chief tax collector? He has been transformed. He has been changed. He has been found to his identity in Christ alone. Can you say that about yourself? Have you been transformed? Have you been radically changed? Have maybe rudeness or hatred in your heart or idea that you're just a person that's just angry at other people? Do people say to you, man, you have changed. You are forgiving and you are loving and you speak kindly. What has happened to you? I'll tell you, my identity is now in the king. It's no longer in what I haven't gotten. It's what I have gotten. Are you prideful? Do you puff yourself up? Do you lie and exaggerate so people can think more of you? Or finally, do you stop thinking about yourself and you think on others? Because finally you say, my identity is what, not what people think of me. Instead, my identity is in Christ. And because it is, I will serve others rather than serving myself. Is your career what matters? People say, man, he's a career guy. He works hard. Maybe you neglect your kids or your family or other things in your life. But people might say, something has changed in this person. He is owned by Jesus now, not by his career. Zacchaeus has been radically changed. I think Tim Keller makes a great point on this, something that is just very poignant. Zacchaeus is powerful. And you see, money is power. In the sense that it's control. You know, when I have money, I'm able to decide uh, where I want to go for vacation, when I can take a vacation. I can decide um, how comfortable my house is going to be. I can decide when I want to clean my house and when I don't want to because I can hire someone else to do it. Money is control. 
If I have money, I can control my environment around me. You see, by Zacchaeus not just giving 10%, but by giving 50%, and then giving 400% those who defrauded, he is making himself vulnerable. He is losing his power. He is giving his power up. Do you do that with your money? Oh, I'll just give enough so it doesn't hurt too much. Or do you, are you radically changed to say, you know what, I'll even lose my own power because my power doesn't come from me, but it comes from Christ. Because finally, my identity in my kingdom is not what I've built here on earth, but it's based on him. And you know what he's done? He's given up all of his power for me. And his kingdom is living by a rule of generosity and by serving others. I will now live by that kingdom. Man, you, I, I, I say, Luke talks about money over and over. He says, man, the preacher's talking about money. He needs money for the church. I am not talking about that. Please, we don't need money. We're going to be fine. What I am saying is, wake up, America. Wake up. People are in need. And we have so much. Will you give up your power for the generosity of the kingdom? Zacchaeus has been radically changed. His identity is different. I think what's so radical about this passage is the passage just a little bit before is this other rich person that is not a tax collector, but instead a guy that abides by the law, an up and comer, a rich young man that has everything going for him. And he says to Jesus, what should I do to be saved? And what does Jesus say to this rich young man? Give up your money, give it up. And the young man said, you asked too much and walks away. You know what's so radical about this passage is that Jesus didn't save that man, but he saved instead a tax collector and a sinner. That's what crazy is. Because everyone thought, oh yeah, this is a guy that truly seeks God and will get it. No, instead it's a person that did not seek God that was far off, that Christ sought him, that he was radically changed. You see, if you are radically changed by Christ, something will be different in you. I read a story about Kathy Ireland, famous supermodel. She had become a Christian. And I was intrigued. How does this person, it's probably some crazy story, how she came to know Christ. And she talks in her testimony how Christ was after her in Paris and uh, throughout Europe and how randomly there'd be Bibles around and she would read the scriptures and she would pray prayers and things like that. And, but she said, the real change happened not in the midst of my model and career, it came after. I was at a women's retreat and God was after me and I remember sitting and hearing a talk 
And I remember God was saying, will you give up control of your children to me? And she said, all the power I had, all the beauty I had, all these things. And the truth is, what was hardest was to give up my kids in control of that to God. And right there, she prayed the prayer. She said, I trust in you, God, that you know what's best for my kids than I do. I have been smothering them, and I trust that you know what's best. And when she prayed that prayer, things radically changed in her life. You know, you're ready for some crazy conversion story, something like this, something like that. No, it was simple as, will you give up control of your children? How about you? What is that thing? Will you give it up? Will you say, I will lose my power so I will gain his power in my life? See, the true seeker in this passage is not this wee little man, small in stature, that climbs up a tree to find Jesus and how crazy that is that he would do that. See, the true one that seeks in this passage is a God that is great in stature, that climbed a tree upon a cross and cried out and called to us and said, I want to take you from death to life. That is the one that truly seeks and he is seeking after you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for condescending to us, coming to us, seeking after us that we might have life. God, I pray that uh, we would be a church that would be radically transformed, that we would give up our power so that you, your power would be manifest and shown in our lives. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.